0: If you would, join me in uh, Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 14 and um, prepare yourselves for, like uh, I'll call it Bible Drill Sunday, as we're going to go through uh, lots of different places of Scripture. For those of you who maybe grew up in church and grew up doing Bible drill kinds of things, uh, this may be a really exciting day for you. I I don't know, maybe you can race your spouse or your friend next to you to the next passage of Scripture that we'll be in. And for those of you who get cold sweats when you hear the words Bible drill, or you're not as comfortable navigating through the Bible, don't worry. We'll have all of the scriptures that we're going to be reading on the screens behind me, okay? So you won't, don't feel left out and don't freak out as we move quickly through several several verses this morning. Those of you who worship with us regularly know that that's not our normal pattern. Normally we're in one passage for a lengthier period of time, but for this series, this I Will series, Five Commitments of Every Christian, we're spending time looking at different commitments that every Christian ought to make, particularly to their home church and through their, the local church of which they are a member. And this week we're looking at the third uh, of those commitments that I will support the work of the gospel. This week we're looking at two ways uh, that, that we can as Christians ought to as Christians support the work of the gospel through our local church. We're going to start in Acts chapter fourteen but we're going to be all over the New Testament. And so just bear with me as we work quickly through some of these things. Today we're going to see that Throughout several places in Scripture, Christians who commit to Christ and to His church ultimately commit themselves also to supporting the work of Christ through His church. Christians are to support the gospel ministry of their local church through two particular means, I think. One, through devoted prayer, and then secondly, through disciplined giving. Both of these, devoted prayer and disciplined giving, were the pattern for the early church, and they ought to continue in us today. We'll see these things illustrated for us in Scripture. I would hope that as a result of looking at several places of God's Word this morning, that we, particularly as members of First Baptist West Albuquerque, would be disciplined to do these two two things, to pray together for the work of of the gospel among us, and to give regularly, generously, and sacrificially to support that work. Stand with me, will you, if you're comfortably able, as we read first Acts chapter one verse fourteen, and then we'll look at several other texts. I won't make a stand for every text that we read today, uh, although that might be a good uh, leg workout. I don't know if it's leg day for anybody, but we could do that for you. Acts chapter one verse fourteen: The word of the Lord. All these, the disciples and many others, all with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Gracious Father, as we look not only at this verse and its context, but several others this morning, we pray that you would show to us the truth of your word, that you would compel us to demonstrate a particular pattern of living as we support the work of the gospel here in our local church. We thank you, God, for the gift of brothers and sisters united together, covenanted together in faith and in cooperation for the sake of the gospel of Jesus to reach our neighbors and the nation. So use this time and use your word, God, to continue to encourage, exhort, challenge, confront, and transform us to become and to look more like Jesus, your son. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's look at the first of these two commitments to supporting the work of the gospel in our church. The first is this, I will pray with my church. This is a commitment that I'm hoping every one of you who are members of First West will make. I will pray with my church. There are two good reasons to make this commitment to your church. The first is that we find through several places of Scripture, beginning with Acts 1, verse 14, that prayer is vital for the local church. Prayer is vital for the local church. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, this this short verse coming to us early in the book of Acts, right after Luke, the author, has described how the risen Jesus appeared to his disciples, then ascended into heaven before their very eyes. Before he left, he gave them instruction to go and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would empower them to be gospel witnesses to the world. And so until the Holy Spirit comes, we read what they were doing in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They are praying, but they're praying a particular way. They're praying in a devoted fashion. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at three other verses where we see similar kind of language, devotion, continuing in prayer, uh, uh, um, uh, being constant in prayer. There is a word that the biblical author Luke uses here in Acts chapter 1 verse 14. It comes to us in that English word devoting or being devoted. It comes from the Greek word proskotereo. I won't ask you to repeat that, but proskotereo means to continue to do something with intense effort even despite difficulty. The apostles, the disciples, together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers were all uh, committing themselves to prayer, continuing in prayer with intense effort, even despite difficulty. Now there are a good many of uh, people who will do things, devote themselves to tasks uh, despite difficulty, even with intense effort. But the things that they devote themselves to are most often things worth doing. For instance, right now, you you see as football season is now upon us, you see story after story, maybe on uh, ESPN or other sports channels that you watch, stories of football players or maybe even programs following football teams in uh, preseason workouts and spring training and practice throughout the week, devoting themselves to becoming the best football player they can be for their team. Guys that wake up before the sun is up and they follow a very strict diet regimen and, and workout regimen and they're on the field practicing not just the skills that they'll use on the field but other skills that might help them to do their job on the field even better. They spend countless hours in film rooms studying other teams and their own teams so that they can be as prepared as possible for football on Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon or Friday night depending on what level of football you prefer to watch. They devote themselves, they give themselves to continued practice and improvement with intense effort even despite difficulty Because being the best football player they can be is goal number one in their lives. We don't often see people devoting themselves to counting beans. I've never seen a person sitting at a table with a five-pound bag of Pintos, persevering despite difficulty to count them all. I've just never seen it. People who devote themselves to things devote themselves to it because that sort of devotion is vital to their success in whatever it is. And so devotion to prayer is vital for the local church. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, as the church was waiting for... Christ to send the Holy Spirit to empower them for mission. But we see it also in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, when the church, after Peter's sermon at Pentecost, brings some 3,000 people to faith in Christ. As the church begins to gather together for the first time, we read this in Acts 2, 42. They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul is giving some instruction for what it means to live as a Christian and how Christians should act toward one another. In Romans 12, beginning in verse 9, this isn't on the screen, but just listen. Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant, proscottareo, in prayer. Paul says similar things to the uh, similar statement to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, where he essentially says the same thing that he said to the church in Rome. Colossians 4, verse 2 continue steadfastly, proscottareo, in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer, we know, as we've studied in uh, different sermon series throughout the life of our, our church in the last couple of years, prayer is communion and communication with God. That's what it is, it's speaking to the God of the universe. Prayer is absolutely vital to the life of the church. So vital that they, that they immediately, by, by second nature and by command from the apostles, give themselves to devoted prayer together. Prayer was so vital that the early church continued in corporate prayer like their lives depended on it precisely because their lives and the ministry of the gospel depended upon it. Apart from prayer, communion with God, interaction with the Holy Spirit who enables us for mission... The mission of God of expanding the kingdom to all the nations will not be accomplished. God intends to do his work through his church as we pray to him, asking for wisdom and direction. Prayer is absolutely vital for the local church, but prayer is also vital for church leaders. So not just for the church gathered together, but for those who lead it. In Acts chapter 6, still in this first book of, uh, or or this book of the the first history of the disciples and the church and all that Jesus was doing through the church, in Acts chapter 6, the church in Jerusalem is hit with a minor crisis. There were Greek-speaking widows among the church in Jerusalem who were being neglected over, uh, uh, um, being passed over unintentionally in the daily distribution of bread to the needy uh, there among the church. The complaint of these widows, a rightful complaint, made it all the way to the apostles, Peter, James, John, the rest. And their solution to this problem uh, was to have the church, the, the believers in Jerusalem, appoint seven men of good repute and spiritual maturity to see to, to that need in proper ways. So that, as we read in Ch- a- Acts chapter 6, verse 4, so the disciples will devote... Uh, themselves, so we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. There's that word proskatoreo again, so that we will continue with intense effort, even despite difficulty, in prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles found it wise, wiser, to give this administrative task of getting food to the widows, to men in the church who were spiritually mature and of good repute, so that they themselves, as leaders of the church in Jerusalem, could be devoted to communication with God for wisdom and leadership as they led the church forward. Prayer was vital for the leaders in the early church. It was so vital that they sensed it was wiser to give certain tasks to other godly men so that they could be devoted to the importance of praying and preaching the gospel. Prayer is vital for church leaders not only in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, but also, again, in Colossians chapter 4. We just read Colossians 4, 2, where... Paul gives instruction to the church to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then verses 3 and 4 right after that, he says, At the same time, pray also for us. Paul asking for prayer for himself and his missionary companions. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then in his second letter to the Thessalonians and. Second uh, Thessalonians, chapter three, verse one. Second Thessalonians is a short book; it often gets lost as I'm flipping through the pages. Second Thessalonians three one, Paul says this: Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you. In these verses. Paul gives instruction to be devoted to the prayer to the church, but he also asks for the church at Colossae and at Thessalonica to pray for him and his missionary partners. He, he asks them to pray specifically, specifically that there would be open doors for Paul and Timothy, Silas, Barnabas, those that are traveling with him at different times, that there would be open doors to share the gospel and to do it with clarity and with boldness pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists, those that God has called to lead in the church. Called them to lead with grace and truth, with love and clarity. They need prayer, the prayers of the people and their own prayers for them for themselves. As a pastor, I can say from experience that the weight of pastoral ministry is far heavier than ever I could have anticipated. The responsibility to not only teach God's word correctly, but to help equip Christians like each and every one of you who are ministers of the gospel in difficult and sometimes adversarial contexts. The weight of that is absolutely humbling. The responsibility that God and the church have placed upon me is, is a humbling one. And in reality, it would feel crushing if it weren't for the prayers that so many of you offer to God on mine and Pastor Danny's behalf. And, and it would feel crushing if I didn't spend time in prayer for myself. I was sharing with a, a, a young man earlier this week uh, that over the last couple of weeks or so I've as, as our girls have gone started going back to school and we're kind of getting into a new rhythm of life uh, not a new rhythm of life but just changing from the summer rhythm to the school year rhythm that it's been a, uh, it's been hard for me to have that regular time of devotion to God in his word and in prayer uh, it's hard, it's been hard for me to get up early in the morning to have that time before everybody else is up and doing their thing. And so I feel the weight, I feel the change in my own life when I don't have that time to give uh, every single day in devoted prayer and study of God's Word. Prayer is vital not just for the church, but it's vital for church leaders too. So pray for me that God would give me strength and wisdom and, and the... the uh, uh, I lost the word, the ability to prioritize and make that time in my life to to be devoted to prayer as well. It is important for church members, for Christians to be devoted, to be committed to praying with and for their church. So then when the church prays together with and for their church, what ought they to pray for? Well, first, we should pray for opportunities to declare Christ. Opportunities to declare Christ. We see that illustrated for us in Colossians four, three, and four, when Paul says, "Pray that a door would be open to us." We ought to pray with, uh, uh, we ought to pray for, excuse me, boldness with the gospel. We won't read it this morning, but take time this week to look at Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, where there the church, as it's being persecuted in its earliest days, goes to prayer together, praying that God would give them not protection from their adversaries, but boldness with the gospel. We should pray for wisdom in how we extend care to our community. In James chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, you can read that later this week. James gives instruction to the church to if they lack wisdom to pray for it knowing that God delights in answering that prayer. We should pray prayers of confession and repentance of our own sins together at the church as the church knowing that as believers in Christ, we don't ever outgrow the gospel. We never grow beyond the gospel. We never grow beyond the need for God's grace day to day. We never grow beyond the need to grow in holiness and sanctification every day. And that happens as we continually confess and repent of our sins before God. James chapter 5, verse 16 encourages the church to do that. We should pray to God for guidance and direction for our church. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, excuse me, in the verses following, we read Luke describing about the choosing of an apostle to replace Judas, Judas who hung himself and died. They they end up choosing Matthias, but they spend that time in Acts 1:14, which we read earlier, devoted in prayer, asking God to give them guidance and direction for how to uh, how to fill this role. Then we should pray also, finally, maybe not finally, but also for the success of other churches. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says this. It's a simple greeting to the church in Galatia, but I hope you catch the import of this. He says, Paul, he begins his letter this way, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, And then he addresses the letter to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, so on and so forth. Paul planted several churches during his missionary journeys. He didn't just plant one local congregation, and he didn't care for just one local congregation. He didn't pray for just one group, but for the many that he planted. Galatia was a region that comprised the cities. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16 as Paul does ministry there, cities of Lystra and Derbe and Iconium and so on, places where Paul planted and started individual groups of believers, and he encourages all of them to pray for one another and to care for the success of one another. It is good for the church to pray for the success of other churches, even other churches in our own city. Dear friends, there are almost a million people that live in the Albuquerque metro area. And almost 95% of them are without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Almost 95% of them have not uh, repented of sin and placed faith in Jesus. There is plenty of lostness to go around. There's plenty of gospel opportunity for each and every one of our churches. All of our churches could be filled to overflowing every single Sunday and there still be a massive amount of work for us to do. So we should, as a church, pray for the success of other churches. This morning, Christian, I invite you to commit to giving spiritual support to your church by devoting yourselves to prayer for the ministry of the gospel and for your pastors and for your leaders. Now, here's how we're going to do that this morning. We're just going to spend four or five minutes right now as a church in small groups. Uh, Grab the, the hand of your husband or wife, spouse, person sitting next to you, and we're going to spend about four minutes in prayer together, out loud in your small groups, praying for these things. Praying for opportunities to declare Christ. Praying for boldness with the gospel. Praying for wisdom in how we extend care to our community. Praying prayers of confession and repentance of our own sins. Praying for guidance in the direction of God for our church. Praying for the success of other churches in our city. If you're not a believer, if you're not yet a Christian this morning, you'll see on the screen behind me a couple of prayers that you can pray if you don't feel uh, that it would be quite appropriate for you to pray for our church this way. Um, Kyle, would you bring those two prayers up for us? You see one uh, up there, the first one's a prayer for those who are searching for truth. You're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian, you're not even sure if Jesus or Christianity is for you. Over the next several minutes, as our church is praying, would you, even just in the quietness of your own heart, pray this this prayer of seeking for truth, asking God to reveal Himself to you this morning. You may be skeptical, and that's just fine. I ask you to just set aside your unbelief, set aside your skepticism for a moment, and pray asking God to reveal the truth of the gospel to you. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you know you need to be. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you know that God has created you for a purpose, a purpose of knowing, loving, worshiping him. You know that you have sin in your life, that you have offended God's perfect holiness and his his perfect standard of morality. You know that you need forgiveness of your sins, and you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross for our sins and was raised again to make us right with God. But you've never placed faith in Jesus. You know all these things, but you've never really trusted him. Well, this morning, perhaps that second prayer is for you, a prayer of belief and repentance. As our church prays together, quietly here, just in a moment, out loud, but quietly in a moment, you can just pray these prayers quietly in your own heart, asking God to lead and to guide you, maybe committing your life to Jesus for the first time. In just a moment, uh, we'll, we'll um, gather together in just small groups with our families, those sitting close by to us. Uh, church members, if you're sitting ne- uh, near a guest today, invite them to come and pray with you, please. And we're just going to spend about four minutes or so in prayer. Let's do that just now. I will pray with my church. The greatest support you can ever give to your home church is to pray with her and for her. Uh, prayer is, is our connection to all of the divine power of God, and it is silly for us not to. The greatest way you can support your church is that way. second way you can support your church is by giving to it, by simply making the commitment to give to your local church. I will give to my church. Now here's a sort of mini-sermon on, on giving, on tithing, if you will. And many of you didn't sign up for that this morning, but there also wasn't a sign-up sheet, so fair enough. <laughs> When it comes to giving to the church, we often approach this with some, uh, maybe some attitude of uh, tentativeness or or trepidation. It seems weird to uh, tell Christians to give to their local church. Uh, But I want to just point us to a couple of places in Scripture where we see that this is not something that we should feel weird about, but should be normal for us. First of all, we just look at the habit of how Christians give, beginning in their earliest days as the church. We see that financial support of the church was first voluntary. it was voluntary. People were lining up to do this Acts chapter two verse forty five in the same context of acts two hundred forty two which we read earlier, where the church is devoting themselves to the apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking the bread, and the prayers. We read in verse 45 that they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, a similar situation where Luke again describes the gathering of the church together, where he says there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Financial support of the church and the ministry of the church was first voluntary. We don't see in any of these places, in Acts, the apostles standing up in front of the church saying, all right, now everybody needs to come and bring money up to the front so we can do what we need to do. No, it was in the heart of believers to do it. They saw how God had provided for them and willingly, cheerfully, worshipfully wanted to bring to the church for the ministry and care of others what God had already blessed them with. The financial support of the church was first voluntary now certainly the the early church in jerusalem being composed of mostly jews who had trusted jesus as the messiah that god had promised certainly they brought these financial gifts out of a pattern of giving that we see for god's people in the old testament have a pattern of of tithing of giving 10 percent of your income or of your crops or other sorts of free will offerings that we see in the old testament but the new testament is clear the gifts that the church members bring daily, or regularly, weekly, they bring freely. And they bring without compulsion because they wanted to meet one another's needs. Because they wanted to ensure that the, the gospel and the work of the gospel had what it needed to get the good news to the residents of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. Financial support of the church ought to be Voluntary. We see that it was first voluntary in the early church, but then we see, secondly, that financial support of the church is also strongly encouraged. So it's voluntary, but it's also encouraged. Look with me at 2 Corinthians, if you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. This is Paul's second letter to the beleaguered church in Corinth. And here he encourages them to give a particular gift. You see, in the mid-40s A.D., about 10 or 15 years after the birth of the Christian church, there was a major famine in the area around Jerusalem. But by then, the gospel had spread far outside Jerusalem to many other places in the Roman world as well. And the churches in Macedonia, uh, uh, more in Greece in particular, wanted to give a a relief gift, if you will, to the church in Jerusalem. They wanted to send a financial gift to meet the needs of of the famine-stricken church in Jerusalem. And this they did willingly and freely. Even though some had very little, they still gave what they could. And so Paul says to the church at Corinth in chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, these words, and this was not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the lord and then by the will of god to us accordingly we urged titus that as he had started so he should finish uh, so he should complete among you this act of grace but as you excel in everything in faith and speech in knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace and this giving to the relief, relief of the saints also i say this not as a command but to prove by the genuine Uh, Excuse me, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul, in these verses, encouraging the church in Corinth, that they, like the church in Macedonia, complete this act of grace by giving sacrificially for the needs of the church in Jerusalem, for the need of the gospel among other churches the impetus, the encouragement, the motivation for their giving should not be to please Paul, but rather to be, as verse 9 says, out of knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So giving to the work of the gospel through the local church by the Christian who's a member of that church ought to be, must be voluntary, not compulsory. But it's also encouraged by Scripture and encouraged in our hearts by the love that we have for Jesus, who, though he was rich, became poor for our sakes, so that we might become rich because of his poverty. Now, we know that being or becoming a Christian does not guarantee that we will be wealthy. That's not what this verse is saying in verse 9 of Second Corinthians 8. Rather, Paul's point is that our wealth is measured not in dollar signs, but our wealth is measured in God's forgiveness of our sins. His absorbing our debt which we owed him for our sin by giving his son, Jesus, as the sacrifice for our sins. And then Paul points to the graciousness and generosity of God for sinners to motivate and encourage the generous and gracious giving of financial resources to the help of ministry to and among other Christians. I will never preach a message that says you should give to the church so that God will bless you. That's not why we do it. We don't give in order to be blessed. We don't give to the church in order to receive something from God. We give to the church because we have already been blessed by God. We give because what God's provision to us is his blessing. And we know that all things belong to God as the creator of all things. And so everything that he's given to us is still already his. And so we turn and and our hearts of worship give back to him a portion of what he has blessed us with so that through the church the gospel may reach those effectively who have not already been reached by it. We should give voluntarily and we should give because we're encouraged, particularly by the example of Christ to give. So how, then, ought we, ought Christians to give to their local church? How should they give financially to support the work of the ministry and the work of the gospel through their church? Well, look with me in the same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 13. Just bear with me as I read. Paul says, continuing in his, his encouragement for the church to give, he says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. How should I give to my church? From this passage, i point out three things. First of all, you should give generously. And by generously, I'm not saying a particular dollar amount or a particular percentage. By generously, I mean the attitude, the, the, the heart position with which you give. Generosity is not measured in dollar signs or in percentages, but generosity is measured by the freeness of a thing given. Generosity is giving without strings attached. Generosity is giving with open hands saying, God, I'm trusting that you will guide and provide and give wisdom to uh, the leaders of my church and to the church as a whole as to how to use this best. So you've blessed me with it. Now I'm turning back this portion and giving it to you to do how you will with you should give generously but then you should give also secondly willingly cheerfully even worshipfully look at verse 7 of second corinthians 9 paul says each one must give not must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion he should be, he should give generously for god loves a cheerful giver we should give to the work of the gospel with smiles on our faces right and not because we had to plaster them on there but because we are generally genuinely happy to give to the work of the gospel it's part of our worship i know it may seem really traditional and formal or or whatever that we you know that we pass offering plates during our time of worship but giving is part of worship It's not just this task, this this dull task that we have to do to somehow oblige God or to keep him happy with us. No, we do it as as we worship because we know that God has richly provided for us. And we delight in worshiping with our brothers and sisters by giving to the work of the gospel together. You should give willingly, cheerfully, and worshipfully. And then finally, I would say, you should give regularly. Regularly, in in a disciplined fashion, if you will. At the end of his first letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first two verses there, Paul gives instruction, he begins to give instruction to the church at Corinth about how they're to prepare to give this gift to the saints in Jerusalem who are uh, stricken by famine. And he says in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do. On the first day of every week each of you is to put something aside and to store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come Paul encourages the church in Corinth to with uh, in a disciplined fashion set something aside each week for the work of the gospel and ministry and care for other saints he says, do it regularly. Be disciplined in your giving so that when the time comes, when the need arises, we won't have to have, uh, make a special appeal for you to give we'll, uh, everything that will be needed. It will, all, will already have been set aside. Dear Christian, you should give generously. You should give with open hands to the work of the gospel in your local church. You should give willingly, cheerfully, worshipfully because you delight, to, you delight in the blessing of God and delight to bless others and through the work of the gospel in your local church. And then you should give regularly. Make it a pattern. Make it a habit to give this way. Dear Christian, particularly the members of First Baptist West Albuquerque, I pray that you would this morning commit to supporting the work of your home church financially. Develop the discipline of regular, generous, and sacrificial giving. And do this knowing that when you give to the ministry of our church, you give, more to, you give to more than just the ministry of this church. Because we want to, as a church, set a pattern for uh, every member of our church in giving, we also, as a church, give 11.5% of every dollar that comes in to other uh, gospel works, other gospel kingdom causes. We're part of what is called the Southern Baptist Convention, and Southern Baptist churches cooperate together through what is called, uh, creatively, the Cooperative Program, and the Cooperative Program... Receives monetary gifts from Southern Baptist churches to do um, uh, missions and ministry all around the world. So we take 11.5 cents of every dollar that you give to the church. We don't use it here. We send it directly on to the cooperative program. Some of it stays in New Mexico for the work of church planting and ministry in New Mexico. And then the portion of that goes on to cooperative program at the national level where it's uh, delegated uh, among the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. We have six seminaries that are devoted to training future ministers and pastors and missionaries. And some of the money's go there to uh, offset and supplement the tuition costs for Southern Baptists. Goes to several other different places as well, but those are the major ones. And so we as a church want to set a pattern of giving for our church by being generous with what you have given, right? So know that we are not treating your gifts selfishly, but trying to, as best we can, generously and regularly, send money on to other gospel works, because we know that God is not only working through First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque, but he's working through missionaries and church planters all around the world. We should give generously, willingly, cheerfully, worshipfully, and regularly. I ran across an interesting study this week, a report called Charitable Giving for Churches from nonprofitsource.com. And there were several interesting statistics about how Christians give. I'll only point out a, a, a couple to us this morning. First is this, that currently, this is the end of 2018, Christians were giving uh, 2.5% of their income to churches or religious causes. On average, 2.5% of their income. During the Great Depression, Christians were giving 3.3% on average to churches and other religious causes. That means that in in all of the economic uh, surplus and strength of 2018, we're giving, as Christians, 1% less then uh, American Christians were during the Great Depression one of the hardest economic times in the life of our country. The same report reveals that about there are about ten million uh, givers ten million they call them tithers, but that doesn 't mean all of them give ten percent but ten million tithers in the United States who donate fifty billion dollars annually. To uh, churches and to nonprofits. That means 10 million people giving an average of $5,000 a year each to uh, the work of the church. Yet, if every Christian in America gave a simple tithe, if every Christian in America gave regularly, generously, sacrificially, worshipfully, by giving simple 10 percent of their income to their local church, it would add an additional 165 billion with a B, dollars with which to do all sorts of gospel ministry. Let me say as one of the pastors here at First West, I'm deeply grateful for the giving of this church. I'm deeply grateful for the way that so many of you give regularly, generously, sacrificially, with worship in your hearts to God. Because of the way that you have given this year, we're like 90, almost 96% funded to budget this year, which is, which is better than we've done in many years in the past. Uh, The church on the whole is giving more percentage-wise this year than you did last year. And for that, I am intensely, I am deeply grateful. And yet still, I wonder how much more work could we do with the gospel? How much more obligation would we have because of funds that are coming in to do more ministry in our community and in the state and around the world if more of us would give more regularly? So let me just give, uh, the last thing I want to do is induce guilt in the hearts of you this morning through the sermon. So here's why I just want to encourage you this way. If you're not already, if you're a member of First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque and you're not already giving regularly, make it a habit. Start with making it a habit right? So every time you get paid, you take cash out of the ATM and you set it aside to give to the church the next Sunday. Or you write that first check or even set up automatic bill pay with your bank where they'll send a check out of, uh, they'll mail a check to the church out of your account directly. So you don't have to do anything. They'll take care of all the habitual stuff for you. Begin by making it a habit. And then secondly, if you're not already giving a simple tithe, 10% off the top, begin giving a simple tithe. And let us see how much God would bless. And not for my sake, not for anybody on staff's sake, so that we can increase our salaries, but so that we can have more money to do more ministry in Taylor Ranch, in Albuquerque, throughout New Mexico, the nation, and even beyond. I would love to have upon my shoulders the obligation of figuring out what in the world are we going to do with all the gifts that our church is giving. So if you're not already giving regularly, begin to make it a habit. If you're not already giving generously, be, begin to, in your heart, have an open-handed approach to your gift, saying, this is God's anyway. So whether the church uses it wisely or unwisely, that, that's, up, that's between God and, and the church leaders. So we're giving it that way. But then also pray for our wisdom, please, to do right by it. And then begin to give worshipfully. Give during our time of worship. As the plate comes by, give your offering there. Make it a part of your worshiping with your church family. And do it with a smile on your face, not because I tell you to, but because you know the grace of God, the generosity of God who gave His own Son to die for your sins and raise Him from the dead to make you right with Him. Do it with a smile on your face, knowing how God has richly provided for you through salvation. I will support the gospel work of my church. I will pray with my church, and I will give to the work of the gospel through my church. A moment ago, we took some time to illustrate the Uh, importance of prayer together by praying together. I'm not going to enforce the importance of giving by passing the plates a second time. (laughs) I've known churches that do. We're not going to do that today, but spend this week in prayer, asking God to allow these truths to to set into your heart uh, that God would compel you by the truth of those things, and that he would lead you to be obedient to him and to his calling. Let's pray this morning.